Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. All right. Hey, welcome to Liquid, everybody. My name's uh, Pastor Tim. Glad you're joining us all our campuses around the state and through Church Online for a very timely series that we're calling The Divided States of America. If you're like me, the tragic events of this past month have just been heartbreaking, uh, just devastating. Our family was actually on vacation. We were at the beach. It was a little surreal when we came in and the, the cable news was behind us. It's hard to process what we saw. On July 5th, Alton Sterling, a 37-year-old black man, was shot several times at point-blank range after being uh, pinned to the ground by two white police officers in Baton Rouge. The following day, July 6th, Philando Castile was fatally shot by a Minnesota police officer after being pulled over in a suburb of St. Paul. Now, Castile was driving with his girlfriend who live-streamed the video on Facebook. It instantly went viral, showed her boyfriend slumped over, bleeding out in the driver's seat from multiple gunshot wounds. Both shootings led to protests across our nation and launched a civil rights investigation by the U.S. Department of Justice. And within hours, predictably, politicians and pundits began the finger-pointing and airing polarizing talking points, kind of cranking up the heat and further dividing the nation. I remember watching this on television and turning to my wife, Colleen, I said, this is bad. Something is deeply wrong here, and it feels like something worse is going to happen. And the next day, it did. On Saturday, or Friday, I should say, July 7th it was, when a group of police officers in Dallas, Texas were ambushed at the end of a Black Lives Matter protest. Five police officers were targeted by a sniper, shot and killed, nine others injured. It was the deadliest mass murder of law enforcement um, in America since the terror attacks of September 11th. Shooter was reportedly angry over the police shootings of black men and stated he wanted to kill white people, especially white police officers. And then on Sunday, July 18th, Three more officers in Baton Rouge were assassinated and three wounded. The gunman was a black Marine veteran who ambushed the officers after responding to a 911 call. And if you have children like we do, your family probably struggled like we did. How do you explain such things to your kids? I mean, we try to shield them, and yet this is the polarized world we're living in, where the moral fabric of our nation seems to be tearing apart literally at the seams. It's, it's unraveling before our eyes in this downward spiral of violence on the nightly news. And for many of us, you know, both black and white, brown, people who wear police blue, our country has never felt more divided, racially divided, politically divided, spiritually divided. And people are angry, people are afraid, people feel confused, and everyone is asking this question, who can heal America? That's the question CNN ran as its headline on its homepage following the massacre in Dallas. So deep racial wounds have been ripped open in recent weeks, and most people understand salvation is not coming from Washington, from either side of the aisle, right? We are in the midst of one of the most polarizing, divisive election cycles ever in history, and people are kind of looking for a savior to step into the vacuum. Like, where is the trusted leader and statesman who can help our country navigate this moment with wisdom and discernment? The truth is, only God can bring the healing and reconciliation where we need it most. Amen? That's why I'm glad you're in church today. 
Two weeks ago, I felt like the Holy Spirit was kind of leading me to do something we don't normally do at Liquid. We had another sermon series scheduled for this month, but we're actually scrapping that, putting it aside. And instead, I felt like God wants us just to spend time looking biblically at what can unite our nation and help heal the deep divisions that have torn so many of us apart. Now, to be very clear, these are complex issues, and there's no single sermon or, you know, sermon series that's going to solve or fix the challenges we're facing. However, God's Word has a tremendous amount to say about God's divine power to both unite and heal people of different races, ethnicities, political perspectives, if, if, big if, if we're humble enough to seek the perspective of God Almighty instead of American culture. You see, in times of national crisis, God's solution always begins in God's house with his church. In 2 Chronicles 7, God says this. He says, if my people who are called by my name, so that's Christians, will what? What's the word, church? Humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn. That's repent. Repent of their wicked ways. Then I'll hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and do what? I will heal their land. So we see in scripture, healing begins with humility in who? God's people, in the church. In a time of crisis, it really is the church of Jesus that's supposed to lead the way in repentance, in prayer, in self-examination, just recognizing our own blindness and our biases and turning our vision heavenward to Christ and inviting the Holy Spirit really to, to foster a spirit of forgiveness, of healing and reconciliation where we need it most. See, I really, I, I'm still... I'm still idealistic enough to believe that through Christ, we can actually embrace race. We can actually experience unity amidst our differences. It's what the Bible calls oneness. That was the vision. But the solution does not start with the media. It doesn't start with the pundits. The solution ain't coming from Washington. The solution starts with God and his truth. So together, we're going to spend the next few weeks humbling ourselves as a church, taking the posture of a learner, repenting and asking God really to open our eyes and help heal the divided states of America. And to kick us off today, we're going to have a very candid conversation about faith and race, a conversation that, honestly, I am in many ways just inadequate to lead. You may not have noticed, I am a white male pastor, okay? I am Caucasian, I am heterosexual, I am middle-class Christian, so I really represent a majority culture and can't pretend to speak adequately for marginalized peoples or groups. And, and honestly, I think I've even been aware of that, that there is this kind of like ignorance and blinders that I've had kind of growing up in a white majority that's been exposed even in my own heart and mind in recent weeks. And so this week, I had the chance to sit down over lunch with two black friends who serve on staff right here at Liquid Church, you know many of them, both of them are trusted brothers in Christ. These are men who lead and serve alongside many of you each week. And today, I asked them to join me on stage so we could have a candid conversation and really just learn together. So would you welcome to the stage my brothers in Christ, Keon Carpenter and Jason Luke. Thank you, guys. Brother, good to see you, Keon. Thank you, Jason. Glad, so glad that you guys are here. Again, if you spend any time around Liquid, you may recognize these men. Keon serves actually as one of our pastors at our Middlesex uh, County campus in Edison. He is married to Monique, and right. you have four kids? Four, that's right. Ages from? 11 down to two. We know how to pray for you. Amen. Okay. <laughs> Amen. Jason Luke serves as one of our directors of spiritual care and counseling at Liquid. And Jason, you're a newlywed. 
Correct. I've been married to my wife, Offre, for about two years and a few months now. Awesome. Praise God. Um, yeah, awesome. Uh, thanks. How's it going? I mean, we're still together, so, you know, that's a good thing. Go for two more, right? right? Awesome. Right? One step at a time. Um, Jason and Kian are followers of Christ. They're trusted friends, leaders in our community, and they've been very, very generous today just to kind of be up here for a very candid conversation. We're just going to be totally honest. And our hope is that this is going to kind of open your eyes and also speak to your heart because we're going to talk very transparently and openly about race and faith in a message we're calling Healing the Racial Divide. Um, again, as a white pastor from majority culture, God has used these tragedies, I think, in a lot of ways to wreck my own heart and show me just kind of how ignorant I am of many of the racial concerns uh, in the culture. And so I invited K Jason and Kian really just to share their stories so we could learn from you and your firsthand perspective. But before we do, I do need to call out what some of you may be thinking, because some of you are like, well, what about the police? You know, why don't, why don't you have the police sitting up there to represent that perspective? First off, this is not a debate, okay? This is a conversation. Secondly, we have many members of law enforcement at all of our campuses in our congregation. I'm, very, I'm close friends with many of them. And I had a chance this week to sit down with some of them to gain their insights. And you know what they said? They said, Pastor Tim, thank you so much. Thank you to Liquid for actually having this conversation. They're deeply grateful that we could talk about this. But understandably, they can't sit up here and represent the city or the government where they, they serve. But they sat with me, and they shared many insights and helpful perspectives I'm going to try to weave into our conversation. But I know you also want to call out, Keon and Jason, that you don't represent or speak for, you know, the black community at That's large. That's right. Just Keon. Just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just jump in. Let's just jump in. Can you each take maybe a, just a minute or two, sure. just kind of share a little bit of your story with us? So, um, Keon, I was born and raised in Pontiac, Michigan. Uh, whoo! Yes! Detroit Rock so, City. Okay. I got a crowd. So, um, so Pontiac, Pontiac is it's a GM factory town, or it used to be a GM factory town. Uh, middle class, blue collar jobs. I grew up amongst a pretty diverse group of friends. Uh, from there, we moved to Jersey City, New Jersey. And it was like going from black and white to full color 4D. It was everything and everything. Um, and then from there, I went on to uh, college, Holy Cross in Massachusetts, which is another turn. Awesome. Jason, how about you? Uh, yeah, so I started off in Brooklyn, and then we moved to the Poconos. So it was... <laughs> it's a very logical step, yeah. I think, we all recognize. Yeah. It was tough. It was tough. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, so I was in Brooklyn when I was nine. We moved, you know, when I was around 10 to, to the Poconos, and I loved it. I really did. So I grew up um, with a lot, a lot of my friends were white, and I've come to love them, their family to me. So Now, what's interesting is as we were talking, I said, well, from the African-American experience, and you're like, well, I'm not African-American. Yeah, so I'm first generation. My parents actually came from Guyana, which is in South America, and my wife, her, her parents actually came from Nigeria. So we're both first generation, yeah. And you personally are, would be West Indian. Correct. Yeah. So Correct. just to, again, just defining terms, just recognizing there's actually nuance and complexity and diversity uh, within even the black community. We're just going to use those terms just kind of generally so you paint it with some broad brushes here. But let me ask you this. I mean, what went through your mind, Keon, as you watched the news over the last month? So, um, you know, I was, I was a little slow on the news cycle. Uh, so I missed the Alton Sterling, you know, uh, coverage. And then I woke up the morning and, you know, alarm clock goes off four o'clock in the morning. And, you know, I'm one of those guys who has to get rid of all of the little red indicators on my phone. Uh, and, you know, I, I found myself on Facebook 
and I'm, I'm watching this video. And, you know, uh, first thought that came through my mind was, here we go again. Uh, the second thought that went through my mind was, this woman's composure as and courage as she's live streaming what's going on and the cop is still there, gun drawn. Fast forward, you know, the video footage and you're in the police car. She's still handcuffed. She's still recording. And she breaks down uh, and she just screams out. She had held her composure all day. But what broke me was when you hear a little small voice, a little girl who they had in the back of the police car with her. And she says, Mommy, I'm here with you. Mommy, I'm here for you. Uh, you know, here we go again. Jason, how about you? Yeah, um, I wasn't following it. My wife was following it more than I was. And um, I, I realized her countenance was just like really heavy. And I'm like, what's going on? And she's like, yeah, you know, there was a shooting. And, and I'm like, oh, wow, I, I didn't even know that. Um, so I didn't have a lot of time to process in the moment with her. Um, but I had some place to go. And and on my way back, I actually got into a car accident and um, someone rear-ended me. And I started to think of some of the things that she was just describing. And I'm like, okay, I'm not necessarily afraid for my life, but I'm very nervous about what's gonna happen right now. I don't know who just hit me. I know it wasn't my fault, but I don't know how angry they're gonna be. I don't know the cop who's coming. I don't, I don't know. Um, his temperament's gonna be, her temperament's gonna be, and I was just really concerned. So for me, that was the first time that fear actually overtook my encounter with, with a police officer. Can I ask you point blank? I mean, as a black man, are you afraid of the police? So I'll, I'll take that one first. So short answer is no. I'm not afraid. Cautious, very cautious. Um, you know, History is replete with examples of something that shouldn't have escalated the way it did and it got out of hand and somebody didn't come home. So I'm very cautious when I'm around police because you just don't know who you're dealing with or what you're dealing with when they come up. Yeah, same. Super cautious. I'm not, I'm not afraid. I just want to make sure that I'm being perceived correctly. So I try to go above and beyond to make, that, make sure that perception is there. Keon, your father, I mean, I his father, four kids. How do you talk to your children about race and policing? So, you know, our children live in a social media era where everything, if you're not talking about it, they're talking about it. Um, you know, one example, you know, and I, I think I'm going to have a different conversation with my son, who's two, than my girl's. But one thing that they will notice, if we ever get stopped, I don't care how cold it is outside, all the windows are coming down, the dome light is going on, my wallet will be in the dashboard, and my keys, I just learned this one, my keys are going up on the roof. Because you just don't know. You want to you know, give the perception that this is not uh, an aggressive situation. You know? So that's, that's one example I'll be sharing with them. Jason, how about you? You guys don't have kids yet, but as you think about starting a family. Yeah, so, you know, we are hoping to have some kids in the future. Um, and because we're newly married, this is the first time I actually thought about having kids. I'm like, oh, it'd be so cool to have, I don't know if I want a son. And, and it kind of just, it hit me. Like, I don't know if I want a son. Because if he's not, if he's not emotionally aware of what's going on, he can get himself in a really tough situation. If he's not sensitive to understand and to read what's going on, he can have just a tough time. So then I started to grieve the fact that I had to even think that way. 
what parent, you know, says, oh, I don't want that type of child because I'm, I'm afraid for their life. So I, it was hard. It's hard for us to have that conversation. That is such a painful thing to hear. Well, I got to tell you, I had the same conversation with my wife. Um, as you saw in the photo, we had three girls. Uh, and when I learned that we were pregnant with a fourth child, part of, the, part of my prayer was, Lord, you know, every man wants to protect his family. And there are just too many examples of things where you couldn't protect them. Uh, so I, too, felt the same way. Now, I had a son, so God must have a plan for his life. But, you know, I thought about it. Let me ask you this. As, you know, black men, young black men, you're 40, though. You're 40. That's borderline. Just That's still, I swing low, Just, you know. I can s still be considered young. As, as, <laughs> as, as black men living in, you know, a majority white culture, what are some of the limitations that you experience? Because, like, you're describing thoughts that, to me, that is so devastating to, that, that that thought would, it wouldn't be a, in the top thousand lists of yeah. thought in my head. And to hear that just breaks my heart as a brother in Christ. Yeah, some of the limitations that I've experienced, again, at the time when I was young, I didn't necessarily know what was going on. But when I graduated high school, I planned a road trip with my friends. It was four, four guys, two mechanics. Like, we, we figured this out. It's going to be a perfect trip. We're going to eat, you know, through the Americas, and we're just gonna go to the Midwest, and it's gonna be great food, and it's gonna be a beautiful time. And I told my parents to plan, I'm like, look, this is where we're going, you know all the stops, you can check in at the hotel to make sure we're there, just in case you're wondering or something. Um, but my mom was like, you can't go. And I'm like, but I showed you my plan, like this, it's foolproof, like we can go. And she was like, you know, you're going through states like Idaho, you're going through, you can't go there the weight we're not there to protect you and again i think she was sensing that i may not have been mature enough to understand mm. some of the things that were going on so she was like you just can't go so i couldn't go um, and do some of the things that you know my friends got to do Kian, how about you so you know I, i'm cautious to use the word limitation uh i would use the word experiences uh i've had quite a few of them um you know i was just sharing with you one of the stories you know, my family moved uh, from Jersey City while I was in my first or second year of college. So when I came home, I was in a whole new environment. First thing I wanted to do was get a haircut. And so I had to walk around the neighborhood. I saw the barbershop pole, boom, that's where I'm going. And I go in, gentleman's cutting hair, there are two other people waiting, so line is good. I grab a seat and I'm waiting. 30, you know, it goes quiet. As soon as I come in, that should have been my first sign. Um, and after about 30 seconds, the gentleman said to me, he said, uh, we don't cut your con's hair here. This, this is, like when you say that, I'm like, is this the 1940s? Nope. This is? No, no. 1990s, 1990s. New Jersey. New Jersey. Uh, and he said, you know, you need to go down the road uh, on that side because that's where they cut your con's hair. What I didn't realize at the time was the town was, you know, one town was, uh, majority white but mixed where we lived and then just across that line was majority black uh, and so he was directing me to get on down the road but what do you do you know do you you know cuss him out get mad you can't do that uh, so I just politely got up and left again this is eye-opening to me I, I feel a little like my head is kind of exploding inside when I when I hear that because I, I in my head I'm like that was like maybe the 30s down south 
Um, again, help us understand what are some of the other invisible ways, and we can broaden this, it doesn't have to be white, black, that, that as minorities living in majority culture, you experience that, just day to day. Yeah, so I think to a large degree, like there's a percentage of your thinking is going towards assessing the situation. It's going towards, am I a threat? Am I being perceived as a threat? Is everything okay? Is my family safe? Is my wife safe? And one of the things that I did, even when I was younger, no one taught me this, but it kind of just, um, I just, from observation, I realized that when I would walk into like the mall or into a grocery store, and there was a woman coming outside with kids or just by herself, I've, I've had it happen so much that you know they would clutch their purse or pull their children close that I realized that, okay, I don't wanna be perceived as a threat, so let me help the situation and walk to the other side of the walkway. Let me help the situation and pull up my phone so it seems like I'm doing something else so that they can feel comfortable where they are, but then it makes me uncomfortable where I am, you know? Is that, I mean, is that a thing? That's, that's a common... Idea. Yeah, so I, I shared that with a friend of mine, and I thought it was like a really common thing. I'm like, don't you do that, right? Don't you do that when you see women come out? He's like, no, Jason. And this is one of my white friends. He's like, I've never had that thought. And to me, that was like the first time I realized, oh, that, that's, that's a difference. There's a huge difference there. All right, it's a thing. It, <laughs> it's a thing. Okay. It is right. a thing. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, you know... I don't do that anymore. I used to do that. I used to be very mindful of what I was projecting out and how the other side was perceiving it, um, going out of my way to course correct, right? Uh, I don't do that anymore. Um, you know, it's a weight. I'm just gonna be honest with you. It is a weight that we all still put on to some degree, some a little bit more than others, uh, but it is a weight that we wear. And, and the, 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 the key thing is, not allowing that venom to get inside of you and you know embrace it that that is the struggle um you know when you say the venom what what do you so mean? so words or images like you know that you're inferior that you're intimidating that you're aggressive that you're too assertive that you know you make me feel uncomfortable therefore you need to recoil back um, challenging those thoughts and not allowing them to, not embracing them. Yeah. Over lunch, Kian, you said something to me that really struck me. You said that people, uh, particularly Americans, maybe m mostly white folk, are more comfortable talking about like Nice, France, you know, the terrorist attacks there, Islamic terror, than we are about race right here at home. Why is that? Why do you think that is? Uh, I think it's because, you know, the history of our country can be messy. It's dirty and messy, and we'd rather not deal with it. Um, you know, slavery, uh, Jim Crow, segregation, uh, redlining and housing discrimination, those are things we'd never really want to get into. Uh, it's easier to talk about what's going on, on abroad than to address what's going on right here. And, and the challenge is um, the silence. You know, it's, again, why this kind of conversation is so valuable as Jason and Kian have been kind of teaching me, opening my eyes. I've also been reading a book, a fabulous book called Between the World and Me by Ta-Nehisi Coates. He's a 40-year-old African-American journalist for The Atlantic. It won the National Book Award last year, and it's written as a, he writes it as a father to his 15-year-old son about what it means to be a black man living in a post-Ferguson America. 
incredible book. I mean, to me, it's so eye-opening about the current kind of um, state of affairs, but not an angry book, but kind of beautifully written, and really explaining the world he's growing up in from the inner city, weaving, because I think a lot of white people, if we, again, we're just being totally candid, sure. I think a lot of white people, at least in my generation, are like, dude, slavery, a horror, segregation, that was an atrocity. But I had nothing to do with that. Can't we just move forward? But it's not that easy as, as we're, we're kind of learning here. So as I've been kind of, you know, reading, talking with you, even God's broadening my perspective, one of the things I realized, I heard Andy Stanley say this. He said, um, he said the farther away you are from a situation, the simpler the solution appears. The farther away you are from complex situations, the simpler the solution appears, you know? And so I think, like, I, we watch these things, and I think a lot of white people would say, like, we know why don't you just trust the police if people are obeying the law or they didn't have guns? But that's really an oversimplification, isn't it? And, and that's why this conversation is good. Just to go back for a okay. second, because, you know, if I say that I love you as a brother and sister in Christ, I can't leave you in ignorance. You know, these experiences are ours, you know, but we've got to get to the point where we start talking. Yeah, yeah, amen. And that's why we wanted to start here, guys, because it has to begin here in the church. Um, not just with different races. Uh, it's an incredibly challenging time for police, too. Um, I was talking with one of my friends in law enforcement, and he pointed to the Facebook post. I don't know if you saw this. From the black officer in Baton Rouge. His name is Montrell Jackson. He served on the force there for 10 years, has a four-month-old son. And just days before he was shot and killed, he had this very poignant post on Facebook about how hard it is as a black man who wears a blue uniform. And he wrote this. He said, I swear to God, I love this city but I wonder if the city loves me. In uniform, I get nasty, hateful looks, and out of uniform, some consider me a threat. So he's, he's caught in these two worlds. And he said, I've experienced so much in my short life and these past three days have tested me to the core. Please don't let hate infect your heart. This city must and will get better, and I'm working in these streets, so any protesters, officers, friends, families, or whoever, if you see me and need a hug or want to say a prayer, I got you. You know, in a lot of ways, police, first responders are in a no-win situation. They're, they're charged with protecting and, you know, caring for the public, and they're daily put in this situations that are very difficult, very dangerous, and there's a steady stream of criticism. Yeah, for sure. Um, I have a friend, I have a few friends who are police officers, and as this was going along, I'm just sending them texts like, hey, man, I'm praying for you. They're not black. They're white men. Um, I love them, I've been to their weddings, you know, I've been a part of their family, I, I know their wives, like these are people that I really love and cherish, and I don't want them to get hurt, I don't want them to, to, you know, not be able to come home because of something happening to them, so it's not necessarily that, you know, police are the problem or we have to, you know, target them, the thing is there is a racial divide and it's bringing up just more fear and anxiety on both sides and we need to do something about it. Can we actually just thank law enforcement and first responders just for their faithful service day in, day out? Incredibly challenging time. I was talking with a, a police chief and a captain this week, and you know what they said? They said, Tim, people need to know, understand, we're humans too. And at the end of the day, we just want to go home to our families. That, that's a good day. And so right now, you know, all the video, et cetera, has dramatically increased these stress levels and anxieties. And he said, it was very interesting because he's, you know, all organizations that have humans have bad apples. And he goes, you know who hate bad cops the most? Good cops. Because they make it that much more difficult and more dangerous for the good ones who are peacemakers, who do respect the public, who do de-escalate uh, de the situation. And media has not helped. It's just kind of hyped the situation. 
So healing the racial divide really is this complex situation um, from all sides. And I guess as we're, we're, we're talking about it, Jason, maybe I'll ask you, what can white Christians do to help when black Christians suffer? I mean, I think that's just like a g generic Christian response. Like, what can Christians do when people are suffering, no matter the skin color, no matter who they are? What can Christians do? And I think it really starts with the relationship. Do you know the person? Do you know them well enough to talk to them about it? If so, have a conversation and listen to them. And listening means not trying to you know, beat them to the solution, not trying to, you know, tell them maybe you're seeing this wrong, but listen and actually sympathize with what's going on because that's what you do with a friend who's hurting, right? So if we're deciding to share these things, realize that this is something that is really vulnerable, it's really hard, it's really tender. I shared this with two friends that I, I grew up with. Um, they love the Lord. They love me. We've been through so much together. We have a really good friendship. And I shared some of these things that were coming on my heart and just how it was affecting me. And it was so incredibly unhelpful because they didn't really want to sit with me. They just went right to solving the problem. Or maybe, Jason, you're viewing this wrong. Or maybe if you did this. And I'm like, but did you just, did you just listen to what I just said? Did you hear me? And I didn't feel validated at all. Yeah. I mean, Jason's a counselor. And um, one of the things that is challenging is that most people are so uncomfortable just being with a person in their pain and their grief, right? And as Christians, it's very tempting for us to, you know, uh, quote a quick Bible verse and declare the problem solved so we can avoid discomfort and really miss the other person's heart in the, in the process, which is one of the reasons we just want to model, you know, for, for our congregation that we can actually have this kind of conversation um, and whenever anybody, you know, suffers, most of us are often clueless. We feel paralyzed. Because I think the, the racial wounds that have happened, they're so serious, they're so complex and tender and awkward. A lot of people are like, I don't want to say anything at all, but if I don't say anything, is my silence, you know, deafening? But if I say something, is that going to offend or, or you know, is it going to be insensitive and lack the empathy and the nuance? So, Kian, how about you? Broaden it out, not black, white, but how can, you know, majority, uh, you know, population help when they see minority Christians suffer? It's not complicated. Speak up. Get up, walk across the room, engage, especially in a setting like this. This should be the comfort zone. This should be where we feel safe talking to one another. Ask them, you know, I saw the videos. How are you doing? You don't need to have the answers. Just empathize with the fact that there's another human being there and just ask how they're doing. That, that's not awkward? You know what's awkward? Silence is awkward. Case in point. Case in point. Uh, this all went down during that week, that Sunday. I, I served at church, and I think one person mentioned, you know, and yet, you know, I watched a whole circle of people talk about Nice, France, and, and you know, their, and it was genuine concern because one of our members goes, she's from France, but not, none of those came and said anything to me. Yeah. One of the things God's opening my eyes to is because I'm like, well, you know, I don't know if I have anything to do with this, but silence really is complicity. Martin Luther King said famously in one of his speeches, he said, in the end, we will not remember the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. And church, that's why we have to speak up. We have to have this conversation. Because this is actually not a new conversation, believe it or not. Racial division has literally been a strain on the church for 2,000 years. 
In fact, at the birth of Christianity, there were these deep, deep racial divides. And it wasn't just two groups, black versus white. It was six groups. You, you had Jews, you know, versus Gentiles. Jews considered themselves, you know, they were the people of God. And Gentiles were inferior. They called Samaritans dogs. You're half-breeds. Then there were slaves versus masters in the first century. Slaves were poor, often from another country. They served, you know, rich masters. So there was this class divide. There's an ethnic divide. And then there's a gender divide. You had women versus men. First century, right? Women had no rights at all, patriarchal culture. So in the first century, at the beginning of the church, there's division on every single level. Race, religion, social status, gender. Oppression and injustice, right? Jews over Gentiles, masters over slaves, men over women. And what happened was all six groups showed up for church, okay? You think we got problems, right? You know, every, people from every different culture and class start following Jesus, but they're still divided. So there needs to be this like definitive word about unity and race from God's perspective. How do you find unity in a culture that's as bitterly divided, divided as that? So God gave an answer in Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, this is printed in your notes. This is from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And that was a first century church, ethnically divided. And Paul wanted them to understand how important unity and oneness is to the advancement of not a nation, but of God's kingdom in history. So he writes in Ephesians 2, starting at verse 14, he says this, but now you, the church, have been, what's the word here? United with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, all of you, but now you've been brought near to him, how? Through the blood of Christ. Now watch this. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He did what? He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. This was mind-blowing. No one in antiquity had ever heard such a thing, but what? Two groups who hate each other became one people? How did this happen? When in his own body on the cross, this is powerful, say it together, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. So the gospel isn't about building walls, it's about tearing them down. And that says he did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. Christ made what? Peace between Jews and Gentiles be creating in himself one new people from the two groups. That is an incredible picture of Christian unity. Remember, as Christians, what we're saying is, you know what? You know what defines us? The central belief of our faith that on the cross, Jesus Christ broke down this dividing wall between us and God. So instead of hostility separating us from God, Jesus brings peace and we're reconciled to God. But watch, not just that. It's not just heaven when you die. Here on earth now, he breaks down this dividing wall of hostility between people and brings peace and racial reconciliation, unity. Paul, Paul is talking to Jews and Gentiles who were divided for 4,000 years. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, he says, guess what? Those two groups, they actually became one. Like a husband and wife, they became one flesh. How was this possible? Paul points to the cross of Jesus. He says the cross is God's emulsifier. You guys know what emulsifier is? It's actually, if you're a chemist or a scientist, you kind of know this. Emulsification is the scientific process where you take two things that naturally in their normal state, they actually repel each other. They normally separate. For example, I'll give you an example. Take mayonnaise, okay? I love, I love mayonnaise. I love me some mayonnaise. I'll just confess it. I am a mayo man. You guys, you like mayonnaise? I like mayonnaise. You're a mayo man too. All right. Jason? Oh, dude, that's racist, dude. Every, everybody, everybody got like mayonnaise, man. I'm just telling you, okay? So super simple, right? Mayonnaise, where are the two main ingredients? 
oil and water. And you guys already know, oil and water what? Don't mix. mix. No matter what you do to hook them up, mix them up, blend them up, oil and water, they naturally are apart. That's just the, that's the nature of it. But that's a problem. No oil and water, no mayonnaise, right? So how do you get mayonnaise, right? Emulsification. Emulsification is where you introduce this outside agent that can relate to each of the ingredients separately that don't mix, they don't get along, but then the emulsifier brings them together, watch this, and bonds them together, and in the process creates something brand new, mayonnaise, okay? (laughs) And I'll tell you, then we have good sandwiches, praise God, all right? In the case of mayonnaise, you know what the emulsifier is? Eggs. Yeah, you got it, okay? Basically, here's what happens. You crack an egg, the egg grabs the oil, the egg grabs the water and says, let's come together, and he hooks them up, brings them together, bonds them together, and then we get some tasty sandwiches. Praise God, okay? Well, guess what? God has provided emulsification for the races. What's the emulsifier? Ephesians 2 says, it is the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Christ is what reaches out to different people, different races, different ethnicities, different backgrounds, culture, classes, and brings them together. And actually, watch, bonds them together, holds them together, as long as they don't abandon the emulsifier, the cross of Jesus. If you don't have the eggs, you don't get mayonnaise. You don't have Christ, you don't get unity. You know why our world does not have the racial unity like God designed it? Because our culture has abandoned Christ. Our culture has trivialized the cross. It basically just thrives on division. It's always us versus them. It's blacks versus white, conservatives versus liberal, Republican versus Democrat, gay versus straight. It's us versus them. But to be a Christian, guys, to be a follower of Christ, it means you and I, we have this divine emulsifier called the blood of Jesus that overrides all those divisions between us and God and then us to each other. Paul says he made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating himself one new people from the two groups and together as one body, that's the church, Christ reconciled both groups to God. So first our vertical relation with God by means of his death on the cross. And then watch, our hostility towards who? Each other was put to death. See, God says, you know what? I see this racial divide and I wanna end it, but I'm not gonna do it by spilling black blood or spilling white blood or blue blood. I'm gonna spill the red blood of my son, Jesus Christ, so you can have peace with me and peace with each other, amen? That's the gospel. That's the good news. See, to be a Christian, it doesn't just mean like, well, you know, I think I'm going to heaven in the afterlife. It means my way of relating right now on earth to each other has been transformed because I'm no longer just defined by my race or identity. It's not I'm, I'm black or white or, or brown or blue because of Jesus. We bleed red. <laughs> See, our unity in Christ, guys, unity in Christ is the key to racial harmony. Christ's blood goes deep into these wounds like a transfusion and it kills the poison of racism. And it fills you with this love for God that gives you a love, a supernatural love for others who are different than you. So because of Jesus, understand, there's no more us versus them. There's just us, okay? Listen, listen, you want something to tweet? There will be no justice until it's just us. You and me, shoulder to shoulder, face to face, because in Christ, we're blood brothers. That's how God sees it. Because of Jesus, I mean, it's, when you think about it, it's profound. As a white man, I actually have more in common with my brother, Kian, or Jason than my own biological family who don't know Christ. Because Christ's blood is the emulsifier that heals our deepest divide. God's dream, guys, you know what God's dream is? It's oneness 
It's not sameness. It's not sameness. God loves variety. <laughs> God created diversity. He created all men, all women equal, and he loves, he loves the diversity, white, black, Latino, Asian, Indian. And you know what? Our diversity on earth will continue into eternity. You want to talk racial profiling? You know what the racial profile of heaven is? Revelation 7 says every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every language will be there. That's God's vision. So, so understand, like, God's goal isn't that, like, one day all the racial distinctions will be obliterated and subsumed into some, you know, uniform race in the sky. God isn't asking white believers to become black or black believers to become white or Asian believers to become brown. Oneness doesn't replace your race, but it overrides it. Your unity in Christ, your allegiance to Jesus takes priority. So as a Christian, here's what that means. It means I'm not a, I'm not a white Christian. It means I treasure Christ more than being white. <laughs> Keon and Jason treasure Jesus more than being black, than being male or female or Republican or Democrat. In fact, Christ, being a follower of Christ means you have so come to treasure Christ that your relationship with him pales in comparison, overrides and overshadows everything else. Because as a sinner who's been reconciled to God by love, you're like, I can love and be reconciled to anyone. Amen? Amen. So understand, guys, the vision is so much bigger. The vision of the kingdom is so much larger and gives us hope because the church has been here before. You guys, we're not here today if the first century church hadn't healed the divide. Literally, if the Jews and Gentiles had not overcome that in the first century, there are no black Christians, there's no white Christians, Asian Christians, Indian Christians, but through Christ... The church was the first in history to overcome these divisions. And notice, the solution didn't come from their culture. It didn't come from the government. It wasn't Caesar's idea. It came from the church of Jesus because we have the message. We have the power. We have the cross. The only thing we don't have is an excuse. Amen? That's the kind of church we want to be, guys. So let me ask you guys, Jason and Keon, just kind of, help make this practical. Monday morning, people are going back to their families, their workplace, school, whatever it is. We want to take a step towards racial unity. What's a practical step we can take? Yeah, I think one of the ways is to, you know, to actually assess the blindness that is in your heart is to actually look and see what people groups you're actually hanging around with. If everyone looks like you, if everyone is similar to you in experience and, and just there's not a lot of diversity, then that could be saying that you're not really really engaging with culture or engaging with people who are not like you. So I think it's really important to diversify your friend group as much as possible because then you're going to get different experiences and it's going to open you up. But I think that's one way that we can start to just see some of the blind spots in our lives. Mm. Keon, how about you? Okay, so um, I think he's right. Um, and, and here's why I think he's right, because if you go and have those conversations with people who look like you, talk like you, same socioeconomic background, you're going to hear back what you're already saying, so there's no diversity there in opinion. Um, I also think that Monday morning, we need to pray for wisdom. Um, ask God to show you your blind spots and what you need to say, and then we need to have more conversations like this, you know, and it's about you know, understanding. You're not there to try to teach or provide the solution. You're there to empathize and listen. And, and sometimes it's just as simple as, hey, I went to church on Sunday. And, they, you know, they have this black pastor. And they're going to say, what? At Liquid? And you can say, yes, they do. They do. <laughs> um, 
And then you tell him, listen, he shared that, you know, when he gets pulled over by the police, he has these experiences, he does this thing. Is that your experience? And you'll be amazed how that just opens up the conversation, wasn't hard, and, and then you take it from there. Yeah. In your message notes today, you'll notice we put a little acrostic there, race, R-A-C-E, with some next steps. And the first R really stands for repent of ignorance, just acknowledging we all have racial blinders. See, the thing about prejudice, prejudice is that it's almost impossible to spot in the mirror because it's hidden in the heart. So the change actually has to start in the heart. So when you watch the news, guys, and you're like, holy smokes, the world's on fire, your next step as a Christ follower is to look inside and say, did somebody light a match? Light a match in me. I, I, like, I've been realized, I realized, like, I've been so kind of blind, not out of malice, but just out of a little naivete to the racial complexities around us. So the second, A, is to ask questions. So repent of ignorance, and A, ask questions. Take the posture of a student, of a learner, not a teacher. Here's a practical way to do it. Those of you on social media, all right? Instead of just posting these polarizing manifestos on Facebook, what if you just ask questions face-to-face? -face? Hmm. Listen to me. Liking something on social media cannot compare to loving someone in your church. Sitting next to them and actually loving them. It is hard to hate people you're friends with. You know what I'm saying? You, you, if you can acknowledge complexity and then actually validate the experience of persons who are sharing with you because it really is a gift. C is, is holding on to the gospel that Christ in our heart is greater than the color of our skin. You have to hold fast to the gospel truth that our unity in Christ overrides our, you know, ethnic differences. Remember this. We're Christians first, then white or black or police blue. And when God looks down, he's like, all I see is the color red. <laughs> the blood of my son, which brings peace with me and with each other. And that finally, I'm going to talk about next week. It's embrace oneness. We're out of time and, and uh, we're going to get into this next week. But the gospel is full of these incredibly inspiring stories of how Jesus called his followers to reach out across the racial and ethnic divides. You know, it's, it, following Jesus is about getting out of your comfort zone and loving your neighbor in redemptive ways because, guys, that's how a nation heals. As you and I change, guess what happens? Our church changes. And when our church changes, guess what happens? That's how the city changes. As a city changes, the state changes. That's how a nation changes. And it's not to become more American. It's to become more kingdom, more like Christ. See, Jesus' vision, guys, is so much more expansive. And you're like, how are we going to do this? I, I don't think we can do this. You're right, we can't. It requires a supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. For us to become the unified community of Christ and help here our land, we need the Holy Spirit to unite us as one body. Amen? Amen. So that's how we want to close today, by celebrating communion. This is the gift of Jesus to us. Communion, if you look at the word, what do, you literally see it. It means coming into what? Union or oneness with God and with each other. So whenever we celebrate communion, you guys know, we have a cup with the juice and we have some bread. And this represents the cross, right? What happened on the cross? What happened? Jesus' body was broken. It was torn in two to show the consequences of sin. We're seeing that tearing right now in our nation. And then his blood was poured out, and this is the emulsifier. This is the emulsifier that forgives our sin and gives us peace with God and each other. So before we come to the communion table, here's what I want to challenge you to do. I'm going to challenge you to pray. I'm going to ask you guys to pray. Would sure. you pray for us, Ken? I'm going to ask you to pray for uh, the church, sure. and then would you pray for communion, Jason? 
And as they do that, I'm going to just give you a, a couple moments here just to reflect in your own heart and come clean with God. Maybe even today, just some of the hidden biases and prejudices that you're like, I've really never even addressed that. Confess that to him. Come for cleansing, restoration, and renewal. And then what we're going to do is something powerful. We're going we're to come forward as one body, red and yellow, black and white, and we're going to receive the red blood of Jesus Christ that unites us and flows through our veins. Amen? Let's do this, church. Would you stand with me? Pastor Keon, I'll ask you to pray for our church together. Well, Father God, we just thank you for yet this opportunity to come together as a family, yes. as one, one body in yes. Christ. Amen. We thank you, Lord, for the blood that was shed. It, it is the blood yes, and only the blood that keeps us and binds us together in you. And so, Father, we're not looking for answers from politicians or worldly leadership, but we're, we're inviting the Holy Spirit to bring about that spirit of reconciliation, yes. starting with examining our own hearts. Yes. Father, break up the hardness, the experiences, anything that's not of you, Daddy. We give you permission to remove it right yes. now and fill us with your love, fill us with your grace, fill us with your mercy. And help us, Lord, to, through your, your spirit, give us the unction to reach across the room yes. and make those connections. No more division, Lord God. I thank you that the enemy is exposed at every turn. Yes. And we choose you to be our solution. Amen. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. And Father, as we're getting ready to now take communion, Lord, I just pray for you know, the brothers and sisters here who call themselves Christians and Christ followers. Lord, we're all at different places. Father, some of us here today have been actually so hurt by things in the reason in the past of, of experiences where they just felt belittled, Father. Lord, you see their heart, you see their pain, and Father, you're able to come down and to be Emmanuel, God with us. And Father, for some of us, we've not experienced you know, some of the things that we shared today, but Lord, you are still so gentle and loving that you want us to be one, as Pastor Tim was talking about, and you are willing, Holy Spirit, to come and to remove the blinders if we humble ourselves. So, Father, I pray that you would give us, uh, your church, your people, the strength and the power to just take steps in trusting you here. Father, we know by the power of your blood and, and your body broken for us, Lord, that we're able to have uh, just union with you so, Lord, as we do that now, as we have communion, remind us of who you are and your strength and your power to overcome all of these areas in our lives. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.